Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the See It To Be It podcast. I am your host, Melinda Garvey, and excited as usual to be here with you this week because we have yet another incredible role model. And our goal is to really just get you in conversation with these amazing women, help show their paths so that you can see your path to success as well. So today we welcome an amazing woman, Ada Renee Johnson, and she is the diversity, equity, and inclusion business partner for people operations at Google. So very, very excited to have you here. Welcome, Ada Renee. Thank you. It's good to be here. I love this platform. I love what it stands for, especially in the times that we're in right now. This is important. It's a great connectivity. Thank you. Yes, we are in unusual times. You know, we are both home quarantine, if you will. We are in shelter in place. I saw somebody that said, did you know the acronym SIP, SIP? Is that coincidental? Because you see a lot of people with their cocktails as they're, as they're sheltering in place. I think it's really poignant that we are talking to you during this time just because you sort of deal with this all the time in your day-to-day work. So we're going to dive into that in a minute. But before, I'd love for you just to kind of go way back. When you were growing up, what do you think you were going to be doing? I just want to kind of talk about your path. Yeah. So when I was growing up, I honestly thought I would go big and leave the streets of St. Louis, Missouri and go to Kansas City to greeting cards for Hallmark. That was... Wow, that that's was specific. You are a woman who knows what you want. All right. <laughs> Exactly what I wanted to do, and I took it very seriously. Any cards that were given for birthdays, holidays, any important occasion, I made sure that I either made them or that I would find time to just peruse the aisle over and over and over and find the one that said the thing closest to what I wanted to see. But it was never a point that someone received a card without scratch outs and without my own words added to it. And so to this day, I still do it. (laughs) Wow, that is actually awesome. So did you come close to realizing that dream? Did you ever end up working at Hallmark? I mean, besides doing your own cards these days, anything happen along that path? No, I never made it to Hallmark. I shifted gears, you know, when... I was graduating from college. It was right after the Enron. You know, there was a complete lack of loyalty to companies and the market and industries were very unsure and uncertain. We were then starting to see life shift from paper to online. And I had not thought far enough ahead of what that would mean for a card writer. Would that mean that I would no longer have that paper to attach my name to and would it only be something that was online and so you know I followed what had been prescribed for me right I come from a line of educators and so I went into the classroom and I'll tell you Melinda it did not last I was an elementary school teacher for 30 days wow that was it and and now you're forced into being a homeschool teacher (laughs) irony right how life comes full circle right 20 years later, here I am back at one. And it was a very interesting setup. I was a third grade elementary school teacher at the school in which my mother was the principal. So there was a heightened level of expectation placed on me by others as well as placed on me by myself. 
But as I began to take back that night, pretty much what has set me up to continue to take back that night time and time again, I actually walked away from that after 30 days. That was not for me. I like to tell people all the time, teaching is like preaching. It's something you have to be called to. I was not called to do that. And so I actually entered into one of the top management trainee programs available to college grads, and that's at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, now Enterprise Holdings. And I went through that management trainee program using a lot of what I did learn in the short time period in the classroom, managing expectations, communicating clearly, but it was what set me up on a path to be where I am today. Mm, That's awesome. Now you've been at Google quite a long time, correct? Yes, it's been nine years. Wow. Nine years, three cities, and a host of different roles. Oh my goodness. Well, tell us a little bit about your role there and your path there and sort of, you know, just, just a little bit about just whole DNI space, such an important space in big companies now. Yeah. So how I got here was through LinkedIn. I had literally just updated my LinkedIn profile back in 2010 and I was reflecting the work that I was actually doing. So at that point in time, LinkedIn had come out with the recruiting platform. I was learning how to recruit on the LinkedIn recruiting platform. And in my trainings and in my learnings, you know, we began to dive into what a person's profile says and how it really communicates what they're doing. And so I looked at my own profile and I'm like, I'm really not communicating what I'm doing. No one's ever going to look for me if I'm not upfront and honest about the work that I'm doing. I literally had updated my profile. And within a week of updating my profile, a recruiter from Google reached out to me. And I'm like, oh, this thing works. But LinkedIn recruiter is very new. You know, is this just a test case? What's going on? And so I actually explored that opportunity. Again, I did not grow up in a technologically savvy generation. And so, you know, I remember going to the library and doing microfish and my freshman year was amazing to have a word processor, not a laptop. And I had jump drives, right? Like those were my life milestones from a technology standpoint. So it was just an experience for me to just say I had experienced talking with the Google recruiter, but then it actually came too. And it was probably one of the most exciting interview processes that I had ever experienced. I met some of the most amazing people in my process. And I honestly walked away saying, at least I experienced it until I got the call. And so at that time, I got the offer packed up. Don't know what I was thinking about, but my fiance and I drove from St. Louis to the Bay Area in the winter through the Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the things we do when we're young and invincible. And so over these past nine years, never once have I left the initial reason I was brought to Google, which was to ensure a more diverse and equitable outcome for everyone who stepped foot at Google, whether you were a candidate or whether you were a new employee, which we call Nooglers. And so at every stage and every point of my career, whether I was in staffing or whether I was a people partner, which is HR business partner for our 24 by 7 operations in the data centers, or in my current role as a diversity business partner, I have always been on the front line of ensuring equitable outcomes from our hiring processes to our performance review and promotion to how we survey our employees to understand how they feel 
Do they feel included? Do they feel like they're belonging in the environment in which they are operating? And what are the things that we are going to do to shift that narrative year over year over year? Participating in our diversity annual report, which is external facing, and just making sure that Google is the number one company to work for, not just because it said so in Forbes, but because every employee and every candidate that has had the experience of interacting with Google in any way, shape, or form feels that way. You know, you mentioned these external facing reports and a lot of companies have started to do those, which I think is great. You know, certainly it's great. The transparency is great. You know, and some of them are quite frankly, I think, you know, outing themselves a little bit like, okay, these don't look so good. It's that sort of that extra layer of accountability. So I'd love just from your perspective and you see obviously so many companies, you know, doing this, like how is corporate America doing in this DNI space? I mean, there's certainly a lot of the needles not moving data and talk, but I'd love to know from your perspective. So we all know that you're either forming, storming, norming, or performing, right? And at any point in time, you can get to one and you go right back to the other. And I think that as a whole, we are still forming. We're forming the narrative. We're forming what's most important. And we're forming a solidified stance. And that's going to continue to shift as the world in which we operate, our customers, our clients, our employees shift. Right. So if we think about this space, the diversity space 10 years ago, there are communities that were not accounted for 10 years ago that we're very much so making sure that we are accounting for them now. We're making sure that LGBTQIA is accounted for. We're making sure that persons with disabilities are accounted for. We're making sure that veterans are recognized and accounted for. It is more than just gender. It is more than just race. It's the intersectionality of all of those. And so I think that as a whole, we have the appropriate and the the right intent. But in my role, I am very much so conditioned on the impact. So what is the impact of our actions? And that's where impact comes from. It, It comes from the action. And so what I see now more than ever is company action. And you'll see that in a lot of companies now have social responsibility roles. They have community and social responsibility roles. There is a true desire to understand who their consumer is, to connect with that consumer authentically, and to ensure that that consumer sees themselves reflected in their workforce. Are we there? Absolutely not. Will we ever get there? I believe we will. But the minute we get there, we have to understand that it is constant move and shift and that we're going to have to continue to respond. It's not a destination. It's a journey. And so until we recognize that, we will always force ourselves to reach a destination as opposed to reflect on the journey. Well, I know that it's obviously we're in such uncertain times right now, but as I'm sure you've been thinking about it a lot, how do you think that this current situation, this pandemic, this shelter in place, and all of the psychological insecurity for everyone that comes with that, and especially those underserved women and diverse individuals within organizations. How do you think that you might see things shift? Or even do you think companies will actually dive in even more? I mean, will this accelerate this journey, this action in this space? 
I think that for some, it will definitely accelerate. And I think that the acceleration will come from, do we really need everyone to come to the exact same building at the exact same time to work? Or can we respond to people and, uh, and connect with them where they are? And can we flex hours? I think that we are going to come out of this pandemic with a refresh and a renewed view on what corporate America is and what corporate really means. And is it your attire? Is it the time in the office? Is it where you're located? I think we're going to go to a more casual, co-located, flexible arrangement because this is the time in which we're able to show that we're probably more productive and we're probably more responsive and we're getting the best of people at every time. So I see that there will probably be major shifts in how we find talent, how we assess talent, how we onboard that talent, how we continue to keep that talent engaged and motivated throughout their tenure, how we promote talent. But I also see that we will have a larger appreciation for some industries that have gone unnoticed for so long. I often think about what I experience when I go to the grocery store, the gas station, and any fast food chain. How efficient and effective are those experiences? And how are my experiences with the individuals that I'm interacting with in a space in which they are put at the most danger right now? And so I see that those are the people who are building what a lot of people say, oh, well, we we need them to have, quote unquote, thicker skin, right? You can't have any skin more thick than those individuals on the front line. And so I think that we'll begin to look more towards the true essence of a candidate and all that they have to offer a company as opposed to what we have prescribed in a job description what we would like, because this is what our limited view has allowed us to see. Right. Well, and even, sorry, my dog's bark. So that's what you get when you're home office, right? You know, so all the podcast listeners, that is my dog. I'm sure she sees something. (laughs) I love that you talk about those people that are unseen. And, you know, one thing that I've been really heartened to see, and one, I never even thought about it until someone else said it, but the truckers. I mean, think about the resilience and the commitment when they're, you know, want to be home with their families. And I mean, day in and day out, I mean, that kind of dedication and commitment and get the job done and never pause. I mean, wow. Talk about people you want to hire, right? That will throw it down no matter what. That is the get it done. I remember growing up and there was a physical sign that you gave to truckers to show appreciation. It's kind of like a (laughs) pull-down lever. I don't know how many children know to do that and know what it means. But I think it really goes back to that human connection. People that are alone more than anyone are truckers, right? Mm -hmm. They're in that truck, I mean, sometimes for weeks on end, you know, alone. And that's that human connection, Just recognizing that and appreciating that, I think, is so important. Yes. Uh, Got a text message from a friend of mine who said, please pray. My husband's headed out to California and he won't return home until after he goes to New York. Those are the two heaviest hit areas, right? And so for leaving your home to go service two major cities that were on lockdown before any others. And you're doing it with a nod. Right. Not to these people need me 
more than my family needs me. That sentiment reminds me of a lot of our military men and women and how this country needs them more than their families need them and and how we mentally prepare families to deal with the separation of them from their soldiers. There comes a time where we have to wrap our arms around those truckers' families and prepare them for the separation as well. And to understand some of these truck drivers are leaving young families, right? And families that very much so depend on them. And we have seen, just like on any other day, some of those truck drivers are not just on the front line of deliveries, but depending on the weather, they can be on the front line of some very horrible accidents. And so we have to be very mindful of the risk that they are assuming to ensure that every time we go to a store, what we want and not always what we need, (laughs) right? We go for what we want, not just what we need, but what we want and what we need are there. Yeah. And it's like for us, a magical delivery. Mm -hmm. But for the truck driver, this is my job. And for their family, they may be going without until that truck driver comes back. That's right. So important to remember that. Kind of pivoting back a little bit to your career. You know, I'd love to just talk about, you know, you being not only a woman in corporate America, but a woman of color. Yes. And, you know, just how you felt. Did you ever feel like you were held back? Did you ever feel like you had extra hurdles to overcome? And what do you see for women today? I have felt all those things. At the time, I may not have always known and been able to recognize and name it, but a lot of time has been spent in reflection. And I spend time in reflection because of where I am today and how I can give back and what I could do for the women climbing the corporate ranks now and how I could positively impact them and how I can share my story. And sometimes it is in the sharing of the story that you then realize oh, I probably should have gotten that promotion before so-and-so, but it was always wrapped up in timing. It was always wrapped up in executive presence. It was always wrapped up in communication. And so as we now begin to peel the layers back to timing, what does that really mean? And when we peel the layers back on communication, Is it because I have a harder accent than some others? Is it because my message is not always received the exact same as my male peers because I may have what they call emotion, but I have to label as passion back to them? And uh, executive presence, is that because I am in a skirt and not a pair of pants? What does that mean, right? And so I think that those are some of the bias-coded languages that I pay very much so close attention to now. And I require those using those words to unpack them for me so that I can help those behind me understand how to combat receiving the same feedback. And so I think that one of the most important experiences for me was when I was at the Fed. I was at the Federal Reserve and I had been hired into a role where I was dual focused. I was focused on recruiting, but I was also focused on recruiting analytics. So I was very much so behind the scenes. And a VP had come to me at that time and he wanted me to present some data. And so I'm presenting the data and he recognized that I had a nose ring. 
And he was like, oh, how long do you think you'll be able to walk these halls with that nose ring? And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, that's fairly new, isn't it? And I said, no, I had this when you hired me. No way. Yes way. And you hired me because I had come to the point in my life where you are going to hire me for what I can offer you, not for what I look like. So I know I had this nose ring (laughs) when I was interviewed and I was hired. And he sat back and said, huh, would you consider taking it out? I said, absolutely not. And it's not that I'm married to my nose ring. It's not that it symbolizes anything other than my coming to in my professional career. The point where I said, this is something I've always wanted for a fashion statement, honestly. But then it bloomed into something even more because this is a part of who I am. And a lot of the major milestones I have accomplished in my life, I've been able to do so with my nose ring. And so when he brought that to me, it was just one of those, huh, you know, and he was very approachable, VP. He and I had a very, what I call real conversation. And he shared with me that he just wanted to make sure that I was taken seriously in that space. And I said, so does a person with a nose ring deserve the same attention as a person with a nose ring? Or because they have a nose ring, we should think less of what they have to say. And he thought about it and he said, it shouldn't matter. And I said, exactly, it shouldn't matter. And so then I asked him, I said, you have tattoos? And he said, oh yeah, you know, but they're in places that no one could see them. I said, oh, (laughs) would you ever consider getting a tattoo in a place where someone could see it? Well, I never thought about it. I said, well, why is it that you haven't thought about it? Is it that you haven't thought about it because you want to respond to the perceptions of this world? Or do you want people to respond to you for what you can offer? And I left the conversation at that. We never talked about nose rings and we never talked about tattoos after that. But it's what people see in us all the time. And it won't go away until we address it head on. And I do it as boldly and as confidently as I can. And I know I make people feel uncomfortable, but at times I have felt uncomfortable. And it's not fair that I have felt uncomfortable in my own skin, the skin I was blessed with, right? The skin that clearly I was prepared to walk this earth in, but had not fully understood that. And so most recently I was in a training and this is a training in which we introduce ourselves. My name is Ada Renee Johnson. I identify as a cisgender and you insert what type of person. And so I said, my name is Ada Renee Johnson. I identify as a cisgender white woman. And everybody looked at me. <laughs> and I got a couple of chuckles. <laughs> then I asked the room, what was funny? Like, what made you feel that way? And one person said, well, I already know that you identify as a person of color, but I just thought it was like a, a slip. And I said, no, it's not a slip. I said, for the past day and a half, we've been sitting in here talking about how we have to be color conscious and how we have to be brave and how, you know, saying that you're colorblind is actually a slap. And so I said, I sat here today and I introduced myself as who I wanted you to see me as because you all consistently say that you're colorblind. And so when you're colorblind, you can't see me. You have to depend on what I've told you. And so that led into a huge conversation. And at the end, I had more people of color come to me to say, I would have never thought to do that. I've constantly been trying to tell people why it is unfortunate, disrespectful to say that you're colorblind. So sometimes you have to take people through social experiments. Sure, sure. And that was it for me. 
I think that so much of this is just evolving and changing all the time because when we were growing up, that's what I was taught is to be colorblind, if you will. I guess I'm, I'm not sure, but, it, but that color didn't matter. I grew up in the Midwest in Indianapolis and I was bused to an inner city school. It was a time of desegregation. Mm -hmm. So I was quite frankly, the minority. We all have this unconscious you know, bias, I guess, or these things that we've learned. And I think that it's so important that we all can have these conversations and continue learning and understanding what colorblind feels like to you. To me, yeah. isn't that what I'm supposed to do is to not have it not matter, but isn't it so much richer to have it matter a whole lot and to learn that my experience is so different than your experience. You know, we might have so many similarities in so many ways, but gosh, we come at it from so different. And that's the cool part, right? That's what adds the flavor. And if you think about what you just said, right, you said that you're from the Midwest. You grew up in Indiana, right? I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in St. Louis. <laughs> and we share that. And that is one of those qualifiers. And so when we begin to use race and gender as a qualifier, as a connector, as a way for you to understand and to see my experiences, as a Midwest girl, I get what you mean when you say that you're from the Midwest. But for someone from the East Coast, you say that so that they can now join your journey. Right. And understand in the Midwest, we think like this. We speak like this. This is what this means. Even when you have people who say soda, you have people who say pop. <laughs> <laughs> so very true. So very true. Oh my gosh. Well, I could talk to you all day long. I think this is just so fascinating and such a timely conversation. And I so appreciate you just sharing so openly and being willing to kind of talk about this during these crazy times as well is even more important. And, you know, we're super excited to follow your journey. And, you know, if people want to follow you on social media or on LinkedIn, where can they find you? Yeah, so I am learning Twitter. And so <laughs> my Twitter handle is my name. And I know I need to get a little better at that, but Ada Renee Johnson. On LinkedIn, Ada Renee Johnson. On Instagram, however, I am infinitely underscored anchored. So infinitely anchored. That is my Instagram. And I probably will begin to shift all of those handles to being one as I think more concretely about my brand and, and how important it is to be structured in a brand approach. But that's where you can find me. And Anyone who has comments, questions, concerns can reach out at any time. I try to be as responsive as I can. You know that I'll probably have a little less time now in the wake of the pandemic where most people are having more time. I have a little less. I have two school-age children that I am responsible for teaching throughout the day. And they're used to hot lunch. So I also have to put my chef hat on. <laughs> You're also the lunch lady too. Oh my gosh. Who'd have thought you'd ever be the lunch lady? You now had to go back to teaching and become the lunch lady. I'm telling you, I think you're going backwards, Ada Renee. I don't know about this. <laughs> it is crazy. When things get back to normal, which, you know, they will, I guess the new normal, I would imagine that your role is going to exponentially increase based on the need. It's not going to just be women and diverse individuals sort of in this movement. 
that sort of insecurity and that need for connection is going to span the entire organization, no matter, you know, what ethnicity or sexual orientation, it's not going to matter anymore. You know, we're all going to have that need for connections. And I think that you were the right person to lead that charge. So I know that Google is lucky to have you. Thank you. I really appreciate that vote of confidence. I do not do it alone. I cannot do it alone. And so as long as people show up authentically as themselves and they are willing to have the hard to have conversations and I continue to work for a company that supports and embraces the work that means so much to me. And we also have professionals that we engage. I think it is extremely important upon returning back into the workforce, whatever that looks like, right? Like, does it mean we go back into an office? What does it look like? That we have EAP counselors on hand. We have to engage in those conversations and we have to look inward and say when, if, and how we need help. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Good luck with your shelter in home situation and I'll be thinking about you and we will be watching what you're doing. Oh, thank you. This is awesome. (laughs) Melinda, you started something and I think that I might need to hold you to having a sit party. We need to have a shelter in place. You choose. So (laughs) you might need to get that on the calendar and have a nationwide sit party. Yes, I think that would be absolutely amazing for sure. All right. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week and check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.